0: Welcome to the third season of our podcast series, Smarter Apple Spraying. Our three-year research and outreach project is funded by USDA's Crop Protection and Pest Management Program. The project is a joint effort of Iowa State University, the Ohio State University, and the USDA Spray Laboratory at Worcester, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Gleason, a plant pathologist at Iowa State University. The project is looking for ways to maximize the efficiency of pesticide sprays in apple orchards in the Midwest. It combines two technologies in field trials in Iowa and Ohio. One of these technologies is called the Intelligent Sprayer. It's a modified air blast sprayer that can apply pesticides much more precisely and reduce spray drift every time a pesticide spray goes on. The other technology is called disease warning systems. These systems track weather conditions so that pesticides can be applied only when there's a real risk of damage from diseases or pests. The goal here is to save sprays when possible. Our project looks at these new ideas separately and together to see how they can make spraying as cost effective as possible for apples. All
1: right. Well, uh, welcome to the uh, Smarter Apple Spraying podcast series, and we have a special guest today. Uh, This is Jason DeVoe, who is uh, known on the internet as the spray guy. He works for um, OMAFRA, and uh, welcome,
2: Jason. Maybe you could uh, let people who don't know know what OMAFRA means. Thanks, Mark. Uh, OMAFRA is the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs. And as a provincial government agency, we obviously think the more syllables, the more important we are. But we call it Omafra for short.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and, uh, uh, and a very, very big profile um, north of the border, and and off uh, as well south of the border. Um, so you you're, you've um, uh, amassed quite a a, a reputation as, as an expert in spray technology, uh, Jason and and. and um, one of the things that we wanted to talk about with you today is uh, to get your take on this idea of um, LIDAR-based um, air blast or air-assisted sprayers and, and how you see that in the context of other kinds of sprayers. Uh, um, do you want to comment?
2: Well, sure. Let's let's start with you calling me an expert. <laughs> uh, wow. I'm the amalgam of a lot of very wise and intelligent researchers that share their information broadly. I think I'm a better speaker than I am a researcher. So I, I think my knack is the ability to uh, stand on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> so let's just start with that. Anything that I talk about during this podcast, very little of it I think is ultimately attributable to me. I'm just uh, good at devouring content from good researchers. Well, you
1: sound like the ideal person to talk to growers then, because uh, you you can interpret some of the things that the
2: researchers do in a more palatable way that's what I hope to do yeah Mm -hmm. so you asked about optics on sprayers and I I should confess that even though some 15 years ago when I started my job was specialty crops and horticulture uh, which is what your audience is hoping for here in in uh, apple orchards about eight years ago one of my colleagues left the field crop side of the equation and in my arrogance I said "Uh, I, I can do that a droplet's a droplet look Why don't you expand me a little bit so I can mess up everybody's crop in Ontario? I'm equally uncomfortable in corn as I am in grapes. And they did. And in doing that, it was great. Uh, Suddenly, I didn't know anything all over again. I know less every day. But I was introduced to the history of of optics on field sprayers, which I thought was where optics started in agriculture. We'll call this a, a specific form of precision agriculture which as I see it, at least as far as sprayers are concerned, just means that your sprayer can detect a change and do something about it. Great example is, is the target there or isn't it? So instead of just broadacre applying everything all over the place, maybe we can get a little more surgical. So I started learning about field sprayers and and how their eyes work. Um, And they could be as simple as that's green and that isn't. We call that green on brown. And I'm sure some of the readers may have heard about that. If you see green on brown, turn on the nozzle that's aiming at it, give it a shot. And then it gets a little more sophisticated. Maybe I'm not just looking for a relative color. Maybe I'm looking for shades of green. So let's go away from green and let's uh, say maybe how green. Or hey, let's get crazy and use cameras. Now it's not just how green, but what shape is it? Now we get the, 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 the pie in the sky green on green. Not only am I spraying something that's green, but I'm spraying specifically what I'm looking for, which is great for herbicide applications uh, where you don't want to spray the plant you're looking to uh, cultivate. You want to spray the one you're looking to get rid of. So this is the road I was on. And then someone said, yeah, you know, Airblast, back to apples. They've been doing this sort of thing for a while too. And I thought, well, yeah, I knew that. A, A lot of us have known that for years we've had sprayers that had uh, radar or or, uh, sonics, some way to bounce a signal like a bat off of a target and the sprayer would respond to what it saw. But I started looking into the history of it and I was just fascinated to discover that long before the first field cropper thought to put an eye on a field sprayer, Airblast was selling a fully-fledged functional technology, true legit precision ag, in the late 70s. And we can get into that if you like, but I thought it was really great that the specialty crops, which often grumble about maybe not getting the same funding or attention as a broad acre crop, had this amazing precision ag tech years before field croppers even had rate controllers. If I'm honest, I don't know where I was going with that. Just context, no, I suppose.
0: I think it's I think it's really interesting.
1: I mean, you know, if these sophisticated optics systems were uh, in place so long ago why aren't they universally used then um,
2: i don't know there. i don't know i i know that some of the early models if we go back to something like tree c which i think was the progenitor of it all and that started in florida where ben roper cleverly walked out into his orange grove and said maybe we don't have to spray 250 gallons an acre because mm-hmm. i don't always have enough tree to warrant it Maybe we only turn this sucker on when there's a tree, and we don't spray between them. And intuitively, we all know that's a great move. Uh, we can get bogged down into how soon you turn it off, or the lead and lag, and how high we we can do that. But we know it would be great if you were on the on the trigger and just kind of pulsing it on and off with each tree. But he used, um, thanks to Polaroid's autofocus tech, a kind of a radar-based system or sonics, I believe, to bounce it off the tree, and uh, that. I uh, had the sprayer respond with a valve of some manner and the sprayer sprayed where there was a target. All great and good. Why doesn't everybody have one was your question. There were problems. Uh, some of the first problems were we spray a lot of fungicides and fungicides like to stick to everything. Anyone that's ever taken their air blast sprayer out of the orchard and noticed it's a completely different color than it was when it first started. Usually a, a creamy yellow at some times of the year. You can just imagine what that does to sensors it coated them. So growers were constantly having to clean these things off. Maybe it's where they put it on the sprayer. Let's put it at the head of the sprayer. Let's put it at the tail of the sprayer. How much lead and lag time do we need to get the signal? There, there were still a lot of bugs to work out. And um, over the years, there were some divergences between how the sensors should operate and what the sprayer should do about it. But I think it, it kind of just stalled out once we started moving beyond semi-dwarf trees and started moving towards like a high density fruiting wall the variability from tree to tree or even the gaps between them started to dry up why do i need a sprayer that can respond on or off to major changes in height or the distance between trees when i have no differences between the height or distance of trees and the answer is you don't you don't need that tech then we started to get some nifty variations. And and, and I think this is where some of today's technologies come in. It's not just a matter of turning your boom on or off, or even the improved granularity of turning the top section off the middle or the bottom. Now we get shades of gray. This is where we sort of stalled in our development until field croppers leapfrogged us a bit and created cheap, and responsive sensors that didn't just respond on or off, but were capable of telling us more. And, and that would be LIDAR. LIDAR was what really helped us out because LIDAR is, is, is distancing as well. It will, let's put it this way. It doesn't just tell you whether there's a target. It can tell you how much target there is, a, a, a degree of density. If I have a lot of canopy to spray, does it make sense to spray that as much as if I have a little bit of canopy to spray? Yes, I have a target, but it's not the same target. So pardon and, me, Jason. This is this is this is kind of a three D sort of imaging, then, isn't it? I mean, if you're
1: thinking of the tree canopy as this three D thing, uh, am I am I am I thinking along the right line here?
2: That's a great way to put it, and I should have set that up front. It's not two D on or off; it's three D how much, and even that that sensor kind of lived on its own for a while until we had a way to do something about it. And that would be Ken Giles, who started talking about uh, pulse width modulation. And all that is is a way to turn a nozzle on and off in rapid succession so that for a given period of time, it's on more than it's off or it's off more than it's on. Some people may think about this a little differently. One way to regulate flow is with pressure. More pressure means more spray or more spray per minute, we'll say, a flow rate. Uh, less pressure means it dribbles out. You don't get quite so much. But the problem with messing with pressure is as pressure goes up and down, it changes droplet size. Uh, it changes the shape oh, of your sure. spray. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. We really don't care so much about that in air blast because it ends up getting entrained in the air and sort of homogeneous anyway. But for field croppers, it was a, it was bad news. We that the early pressure based rate controllers said if you drive faster or slow down, we will crank up the pressure or drop it so that your rate is consistent. But they started to face problems with bad overlap and bad droplet sizes. So we waited again and then pulse width. Let's just flicker them on and off. That'll determine how much spray per minute. And we get this perfect marriage. Wait a minute, now we've got a sensor that knows A, we have a target. B, how much of that target there is—a density—and C, we got something we can do about it. Now we can pulse enough spray to give it the right amount of coverage. Uh, and today's more sophisticated precision air blaster, born. So, if I
1: understood you right, and I hadn't thought about it this way—that the the, uh, the nozzles had to catch up with that with that imaging technology, which was ahead. And then finally, when they kind of when the nozzles got up, then we had a good thing right if i'm honest
2: mark i don't think i thought about it this way before you forced me to do it either it seemed like we had optics first on air blast and then we had improved optics thanks to field sprayers uh and then we had improved rate control thanks to field sprayers and then it all migrated back to air blast where we kind of have the the perfect combination of elements or seemingly the perfect combination of elements
1: that's something I didn't realize, Jason. That the that the advances in field uh, crop sprayers uh, really filtered back
2: into the world of specialty crops, into the into the air blast. As I see it, world. but uh, somebody who's uh, better on one side or the other may <laughs> beg to differ. But chronologically, and as I've seen everything change, and as I've kind of done my research backwards, historically it looks like that's the way it's gone, and that's why it's neat that I can stand with one leg on either side of the fence and. <laughs> uh, work with field croppers and, and work with specialty crop growers they get to learn that, from one another I get to that, learn both.
1: pardon me that's a really good point that that um, um the grower groups that you just mentioned really aren't in two separate pursuits they're in related pursuits and they can learn from each other that's a super a super take-home point I think um yeah before um before we started the interview um I had mentioned that um No, I thought you were in a unique position to think about where this technology is going. Okay, there have been evolution uh, and and maybe even sped up evolution to get to where we are now with things uh, like the products that we're we're looking with these, like the intelligence sprayer and so forth. But uh, can you um, kind of crystal ball us uh, on... where you think this will proceed in the next decade or so? Um, uh, we have the thing that commercially we can we can do an intelligent sprayer for a, an air blast, but where where is this going? And I guess I guess uh, the other part of that question, Jason, is where you see the limitations of that of that technology as it stands today. Not only where is it going, but
2: what, what are we still limited by? Now you did say forty minutes, right, Mark? <laughs> Settle in. Um, <laughs> Let's start with the first half of your question. You asked, "Where do you think we're going?" I'm I'm just going to kind of dribble a few ideas out there, and then I think maybe we'll we'll hit that harder at the end of the interview because I think that's a nice place to look off into the future. Um, Also, I say things like this, and I think, hmm, you know, 15 years from now at my retirement, someone's going to find this podcast and trot it out and say, "Boy, you had no idea where these things were really going to go, did you?" So, (laughs) this. This pie-in-the-sky thinking is what it's worth. It's it's just an estimation. Ultimately, ultimately, these sprayers are going to drive on their own. They already are. They're going to detect not only the target being there or how much, but, you know, leaning back to our uh, field cropper guys, they're going to use object recognition. Not only is there this much target, but I can predict what to do about it because I know what caused A, the damage, or B, what the target is. I'll say that differently. A sprayer will be able to look at bloom, count the blooms, figure out which are king blooms and which are secondary, and then apply a thinner in real time based on what it's seeing. So the black magic that is plant growth regulators, where respective people will say different things based on the temperature, and the counts, and the rootstock, and the time of year, and what you had for breakfast that day, honestly, I, it's it's boggling to me how anyone thins fruit and does it well. These sprayers will have an algorithm, which in real time can respond in a proven and repeatable way. It's going to happen. Wow. Uh, in uh, fact, they can Pardon me, let me interject there.
1: I found myself in a conversation um, by Zoom with a an outfit in England that's actually doing this kind of bloom estimation, but they're doing it with drones. Yeah. <laughs> so do you kind of, do you kind of see a drone in this future
2: or is well, that. It depends where up? your information comes from. So precision ag is, as I said, detecting variability and responding to it. Your detectors can be on your tractor where you've got a couple of seconds for the sprayer to respond, or you can work from a precision GPS style map. Where something mapped it all out ahead of time, then you feed that information to the sprayer, and it just does prescription applications based on what you told it to do. It depends what you're looking for. So flying a drone ahead of time to do the counts, sure. If you get enough resolution and you've got the computing power to to develop a map, yeah. Uh, a few years ago, I had the privilege to be in Australia, and I went to Smart Farm.
0: You're listening to a podcast series called Smarter Apple Spraying. The series is part of a three-year project in Iowa and Ohio that is funded by USDA's Crop Protection and Pest Management Program. Now, back to our interview.
2: When I got to see some of their prototype technology where they had a gantry of sensors that they put on one of their little autonomous units and just drove the orchard and uh, counted the blooms and they would just sort of comparatively block them off. You weren't getting actual numbers, but you you got like a scale of seven or eight comparatively more or less ratings. In this section of the tree, I have a, um, a count of seven. I have a count of five. I have a count of four, whatever those numbers like, have to be. Like a field,
1: a blue sort of thing. In the, uh, yeah, sub-canada. so
2: you ended up with a uh, kind of a vertical graph, looked like a histogram where, you could see what part of the tree had a, a cluster of flowers that equaled, you know, say one through seven. And they were doing that right then. And the idea was now, what do we tell the sprayer to do as a, res- as a result of that? And then how do we go back and assess whether or not we did the right thing? Like it, it's a very iterative process. It's not mm-hmm. just detection, it's kind of what to do about detection. And I, I think that leads nicely into the second part of your question. Mm-hmm. You asked, where are we going? And I didn't really complete that thought. I'll do that at the end. But you also said, what limitations do we have now? Can we run with that for a minute? Please. All right. So I'll start by saying I'm all over this technology. I think it's inevitable. I think it's wonderful. And we're going to go there whether we like it or not. It has to happen. Uh, It can happen for reasons of labor. It can happen for reasons of exposure. It can happen for reasons of timing. There's just not enough time to get out there. Pick your poison, no matter what, this is going to happen. And as we all get very excited about the commercial availability of these uh, sprayers, I'm thinking things like H3O in Europe, I'm thinking the Jacto Arbus in Brazil, I'm thinking Hall's um, ISA sprayer, which is also sort of a responsive sprayer, I'm thinking Smart Apply, even Gus, Gus has a, Uh, The Gus Mini can respond to canopies and spray as well. This is coming, it's coming from multiple directions and the more options we have, the more these companies will compete with each other and uh, we'll get a better product for a better price. It's just how it's going to go, but we have to be careful. It's really tempting to think that a sprayer with optics is a sprayer with brains. (laughs) And in some sense it is, but I've often said that the most important part of the sprayer is the operator they're the only ones that can truly gauge all the different variables and figure out which one trumps which other variable and make a kind of a gray matter decision what to do about it so let's take a second and look at what even the most sophisticated optics air blast sprayer is truly capable of doing uh, and let's leave automation out of this let's say you're still driving you park the sprayer in the orchard and you say it's time to put this product on. And I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and assume it's IPM, I hope it is. You scout it, you know that you have a pest that's reached an economic threshold, that it it is economically the right thing to do to spray. And environmentally, you're gonna do this as accurately as possible. Win, 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 my version of IPM. So you load the sprayer up and you start driving and you rely on the sprayer to detect that there's a target and you rely on the sprayer in the more sophisticated versions to detect how much target. And then you let the sprayer release the right amount of product as you pass by to get threshold coverage and, hopefully, control of that pest on that target. And life is good. As you drive your acreage, this thing is going to sputter and putter and put on as much as it needs to put on to reach that threshold. And you know the tricky bit is knowing how much you're going to have left over in the tank at the end. That'll change from application to application. There's no good answer for that yet. Um, and hopefully, if you even have an as-applied map where you can look back and say, I know what I put where as a, as a way to figure out if you have any problems or if things went well, how you can fix it or repeat it. Whoops. What are we assuming here? We're assuming that the key factor, the primary factor in control or efficacy is the amount of product you release at the right time liquid sprayed from the sprayer and i think that might be an error Um, not that that isn't an important component but it didn't account for a lot of other things that ultimately control whether or not you get good coverage the first thing it doesn't control for is how fast did you drive now hopefully your listeners are saying bull i know that this thing accounts for how fast you drive because if you drive too fast, the sprayer has uh, sensors on it that it knows how fast it's driving and it compensates. If I drive slow, I don't need so much per minute. If I drive really fast, I need more. We've had rate controllers for years, we know that. Granted, as far as liquid is concerned, it does account for travel speed, but not air. These are air blast sprayers. Droplets that are released from an air blast sprayer Very quickly does the velocity on a droplet slow. Its terminal velocity means it comes out wicked fast, but it doesn't have a lot of mass, which means it's kind of like throwing a feather through pudding. It just slows down very quickly. And then what happens? (laughs) Then it only has one or two things that'll help it get where it's going. Its original momentum is gone. It's stalled. So gravity and uh, whatever the wind is doing is kind of what controls a droplet's fate. So if it hasn't hit the target by the time it slows down and just hangs there, it doesn't matter how much you sprayed. And if you don't believe me, just think about how far away the droplet is from the target. The nozzles at the top of an axial sprayer have a much further distance to span than the ones at the bottom. Um, Even if your tree is morphologically a a vertical trellis, like a nine or 11 foot trellised apple, The one at the top's got further to go, and the further a droplet has to go, the more opportunity that spray has to evaporate, i.e. get smaller, slow down the feather through pudding thing, or get blown off course before it arrives. Now we talk about dwell time. If you drive your sprayer slowly, you give more opportunity for the air that your sprayer is producing to grab that droplet, push all the other air out of the way, and deliver it to its target. If you drive quickly you have less dwell time and those droplets are just sort of sprayed out the back and they don't get an opportunity to to get where they're going air is a fluid so if you need to think about this a different way imagine you're holding a garden hose and you just stand in one place aiming it at something you're going to drench it now if you run as fast as you can and don't change as much the the rate of flow from your hose Everything you spray as you run is going to get less liquid on it than it would is if you just stood there. Air is the same way. Drive fast, you're not going to get a lot there. Drive slow, you're going to blast the target. You're going to get an opportunity to build those air currents and deliver the spray. So optics don't know how much air you're using. And optics can respond uh, liquid fluid wise to how fast you're driving. they don't know if your travel speed is too much for your air to reach the target. <music> Thanks for listening
0: to this episode of the Smarter Apple Spraying podcast series. You can find more episodes in this series at the Smarter Apple Spraying website. The link is https colon 2 front slashes www.smartapplespray.plantpath.iastate.edu. The host for this series is Mark Gleason. Jose Gonzalez is the editor. The Smarter Apple Spraying podcast series is funded by a grant from USDA's Crop Protection and Pest Management Program. For more information about the three-state project, contact Mark Gleason. Email is mgleason, M-G-L-E-A-S-O-N, at iastate.edu in Iowa, or Melanie lewis Ivy email is ivey.14 at osu.edu at the Ohio State University.